Good morning, Shawnee Baptist Church. Happy Easter Sunday. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Wish I could hear your voices today. Proclaim that back to me, but this is a special day for us as Christians. This is a special day for us as Shawnee Baptist Church. We get to celebrate the fact that Jesus is risen. The whole reason why we gather, the whole purpose of our gathering is to continually talk about, speak about, come together and in unity, proclaim the message of the resurrection, the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. And so I hope that you're encouraged this day, even more so than others, but realize that the other 51 weeks out of the year, it is the same reason that we gather each and every week. It is the same reason that we have unity in the faith. It's because of the gospel message. It's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we now have life because he conquered death. I just want to take a a few moments before Pastor Aaron comes up and gives us the word in Romans. Um, What I want to do is read the account of the resurrection in Luke. So if you could turn with me to Luke 23, I'm going to start in verse 50 and go through chapter 24, the first few verses there, so that we can all kind of be on the same page, if you will, and have this in our minds. If you haven't already read this with your family or thought through this um, within the last few hours, whenever you are actually viewing this, I think it's good just so that we're on the same page going into the message here of understanding what it is that we are celebrating this day. Luke 23, verse 50. I'll start there. Now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was the beginning. The woman who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day they rested according to the commandment. Chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they took all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. Church, this is an interesting account, right? So now they walk in, they see that the body of Jesus is no longer there. He has risen. And for the next 40 days, as Jesus eventually appears to all of the disciples who would become apostles, and to the women, and to those who had followed him closely, 
In amazement, he began to teach them. He appeared to several hundred more. But you have to understand that in between this time and Acts chapter 2, there was this yet uh, unraveling of information, of realization, of illumination by God's Spirit in the person and the work of Christ, of him teaching them day by day of what had happened and what was to come. I'm sure they still stood there just amazed. And like Peter, maybe some of us think that this is an idle story, that it's got to be something I have to see for myself, that the reality of the resurrection still was not, well, real to, to them. What was the purpose? What was to happen? They still didn't necessarily understand its fulfillment in entirety until we come to Acts chapter 2. And we know in Acts chapter 2, we call that Pentecost, 40 days later, um, that the Holy Spirit descended, that Jesus went up and ascended into heaven, and he sent with the Father the Holy Spirit down on his people, his children, those who would call on his name in faith. And Peter makes his first sermon, basically, by the power of the Holy Spirit and what some 3,000 were added to the number because they started to understand, because of the Spirit's working, what had actually been accomplished through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And more of these things became uh, evident or apparent that God was doing a work through his spirits. And that this gospel, this life, death, and resurrection, this ascension, this story now permeated not just their minds, but their hearts. And transformation had taken place. And as they started to work that out, and by the power of the Spirit were led to tell this and proclaim this, more and more were added to their number. And we come to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, and it says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And we begin to read about the signs and the wonders that were performed because God was doing a work by His Spirit, fulfilling all of what had been told through the Old Testament and what Jesus had intended in His life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Church, I really hope that you're encouraged this day, that you, in the midst of a difficult time, a different time, a confusing time, that God, by his Spirit, would be illuminating his word about the person and the work of Christ in your lives, in your homes. That day by day by day, as you're opening his word, as you're reading it, as it is shedding light into the situation that you're in now, that this word, his resurrection, still speaks to you this day. And that as you're faithful in faith, you come to him understanding that he has a work and that he's doing something that you might not understand all of right now, but that he's doing a work. And by faith, you're walking towards him in the midst of difficulty, that you would trust him and that this resurrection would bring joy to you. Understanding and celebrating this would bring joy to your, to, to your world right now. That there are many around us who in Maybe hope of something else or through something else, maybe governmental means, maybe their wealth, maybe at the fact that they're looking at something different, that we know that in the end it will be empty and it will fall apart. But that we carry a hope in the midst of something that might not seem rational to others, but we have God's Spirit in us that He has awakened our soul and our hearts to the work of Christ and how it is applied to us. I pray that we would carry that hope, that people would see that hope in us, that amidst a difficult time, a sin-soaked world where it's dark out there, 
that the light of Christ would reign in us, and that this resurrection, that it is not a tale that we wouldn't believe as Peter initially thought, but that it is life that we carry in us. It's the light of Christ. It's the hope that we have, the hope of glory, Christ in us, that resurrection power. And as we get ready to read in Romans, and as Pastor Aaron will come up to this pulpit and help us understand through the words of Paul what that means to us as people who are still in sin in some sense, but God has worked in and through our faulty bodies to carry, as we read just the other day, in these frail jars of clay, the message of Christ to to a, a dying world that is reigning by the dark enemy that we too would have that light of Christ in us and that would carry us through Sunday to Sunday, Sunday to Monday, Monday to Tuesday, Tuesday to Wednesday, that we would trust Christ with this message. So as Aaron, Pastor Aaron reads this morning from Romans 5, 12 through 21, I'm going to just set up that for him. I'm going to read this verse. He's going to come up and preach it. May our hearts be prepared. May we be expectant. May we be joyful knowing that today we celebrate the truth of a message that still resonates through the ages and that we had the privilege of carrying through our faulty bodies, through our stumbling selves, this light, this message of Jesus Christ's resurrection. So as the verses come up onto your screens, Romans 12, or Romans 5, excuse me, verses 12 through 21. I'm going to read these, and this is what Aaron's going to be preaching through. So may our hearts and our minds be prepared as I read this. Again, chapter 5 of Romans, starting with the verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more had the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of that one man Jesus Christ abounded for many." And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that the good news of the gospel is relevant today. It speaks today. It changes us. It makes us whole. It takes us as sinful men 
by the work of Jesus Christ, makes us righteous. We don't understand all of that, Father, but we know that it's something that happened at the cross because of your resurrection and the sacrifice that was made acceptable through your ascension unto God. We thank you. Work in our hearts this day. Change us. Work through Pastor Aaron as he delivers a message of hope through the living word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Kevin. Uh, as we get started this morning, I would encourage you to have your Bibles with you this morning. Perhaps you've gotten used to watching this on the screen and we put the verses on there for you and that will be helpful. We'll do that again today. But there's some things in Romans that I'm going to want you to be able to see. It'll be helpful if you have your Bible and are able to see it with your own eyes as we walk through it this morning. So as, as we get started, the, the verses that Pastor Kevin just read for you, what you just heard, in Romans chapter 5, there's two realms, almost two kingdoms, as it were, that, that are compared and contrasted back and forth. On the one hand, you've got the realm of sin and the realm of death, the realm that belongs to Satan and how sin brought death. And yet, on the other hand, you have the realm that belongs to Jesus and God and how his righteousness leads to life. And back and forth, these two realms, these two kingdoms, are, are compared to one another. And that's kind of where we're going to focus our time this morning as we think about this passage of Scripture. But, but Paul, in the book of Romans, isn't the only one to compare and contrast these two kingdoms. In fact, as we think about the fact, even as Pastor Kevin rightly said, on Easter Sunday, we're celebrating the resurrection. That's what the church celebrates every time we gather. We're coming and gathering to celebrate the empty tomb as the people of God coming together to say, we, we believe in the resurrection. This is where our hopes lie. And in fact, the, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and creates life is our declaration that we believe this realm, this kingdom wins over this realm and this kingdom. In fact, God has done something to move us as a people from this realm over here to the realm of life and the kingdom of life and the kingdom of the Son. That's the way that Paul puts it in the book of Colossians chapter 1. And I want to read this verse for you, Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. And here's what Paul says. He, speaking of God, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Do you see the way that Paul puts us? He says that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So as we think about this this morning, I want you to think about which of those two kingdoms are you in? Because Paul makes it clear in Colossians that we start in the kingdom of death. We start in the domain of darkness and something happens that brings us into the kingdom of life, that brings us into the kingdom of God's beloved son, Jesus Christ. So which kingdom are you in this morning and how is that transfer made? How is it that we go from the one kingdom of death and darkness to the kingdom of life? My purpose this morning as, 
as we spend a few minutes thinking about this passage in Romans. I'm aware that I'm speaking to several different groups of people this morning. And so my purpose has a different for each group. I'm aware those of you that are believers in Jesus Christ, to my brothers and sisters at Shawnee Baptist Church, I want you to be encouraged this morning and have your faith strengthened because of the hope of what the empty tomb means for you and I. That, that the resurrection for you and I gives us such hope and confidence that we're in this domain, this kingdom of life. And in fact, we're waiting for God to accomplish even more and greater things in this kingdom. So I want your faith to be strengthened and encouraged. And yet at the same time, I'm aware there's some who think they're in this kingdom or perhaps they have made a profession of faith, but perhaps it's not grounded where it should be. And so I want to challenge some assumptions within this kingdom of those who might think that they're in the kingdom of life. Perhaps you're one who thinks that, that simply, let me say it this way, how, how is that transformed? How do we end up in this kingdom? What is your faith in? Just as Kevin in our introduction was, was encouraging us to think, where does our hope lie in terms of this situation that we're in, in this quarantine crisis situation? What is our hopes for deliverance out of that? In a, in a similar way, I would challenge us to think, what is, what is our hope? Where do you place your hope for the fact that you are in the kingdom of life, for that, that you're in the kingdom of the Son? Are you basing your hopes on the fact that somehow if you're good enough, that transfer will be made? That at the end of your life, God will, will weigh things out and say that you are good, and you make it, therefore, into the kingdom. Are you basing it on the fact that you attend church or that you're even a member of a church? Are you basing it on the fact that you've made a profession of faith in Christ, even if there's no fruit to show to go along with that profession? I think all of us would do well to have those assumptions challenged of why is it that we believe that we are rightly in the kingdom of life. Some of you will be familiar with the comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin, the little mischievous six-year-old boy who's adventurous and usually seems to have his sidekick, Hobbes, the little stuffed tiger with him. There was a comic strip that ran just two days before Christmas. And so here on Easter, we're going to think about Christmas. And of course, the common train of thought for Christmas and those who believe that they get presents from delivered through the chimney by a big guy in a red suit. Of course, Calvin and Hobbes this was uh, in 1990, two days before Christmas. Calvin and Hobbes are sledding down a sledding hill, and they're th having deep theological conversations because what do you talk about when you're sledding down the sledding hill? Well, Calvin says that he's beginning to get nervous about Christmas, and so Hobbes says, you're worried haven't, you haven't been good. And so Calvin's worried that he's not going to get his presence. He says, that's just the question. It's all relative. What's Santa's definition of how good do you have to be to qualify as good? Then Calvin begins to think uh, 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 on this line of thought. He says, I haven't killed anybody. See, that's good, right? I haven't committed any felonies. I didn't start any wars. I don't practice cannibalism. Wouldn't you say that's pretty good? Wouldn't you say I should get lots of presents, Calvin says. Then Hobbes chimes in. He says, but maybe good is more than the absence of bad. And Calvin says, see, that's what worries me. If you 
are placing your faith and trust and confidence in the fact that you are somehow good or that somehow your righteous deeds get you into heaven, well, we're coming out of the Sermon on the Mount. As a church, we are in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And remember there that Jesus is speaking to those who were the best of the best. In Jesus' day, the scribes and the Pharisees were the religious leaders such that if anyone's life was good, theirs certainly was. And yet Jesus clashed with them. His Jesus' teaching was diametrically opposed to the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees who thought they were good. And Jesus says there's a different level of righteousness, a different level of goodness that's needed. So this morning as we go through this, I want to challenge some assumptions of those of you who would say, yes, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. This is this Bible that I'm going to preach from this morning. Those are, there would be those of you who say you believe it. And yet I want to challenge assumptions of is your faith and trust in the right thing or is somehow are you misguided in what you're placing faith and trust in and yet then still there's a third group not only am i speaking to believers to encourage them not only am i speaking to those who might think they're believers and want to challenge assumptions but the third group i recognize there may be some who are listening or watching to this today and you're you're not a believer you're a skeptic you don't buy into the gospel as we preach it here perhaps you don't even believe anything in this book and you wouldn't ascribe belief in God. And so as I'm going to try to explain to you this morning, what is the Christian worldview of how you can leave the kingdom of darkness and enter the kingdom of life? Perhaps you don't buy any of it. And, and, and you, you, you will listen to what I proclaim as this is what scripture teaches. The Christian worldview answers are to this problem that I have posed. And perhaps you say that you don't buy into any of that. You don't believe in the God of the Bible and you don't believe the Christian worldview. So I would like to speak and challenge you this morning and just ask this question. Then what are the answers that you have for your questions? If you don't buy the Christian worldview, does your worldview, does your way of thinking have satisfying answers for some of the biggest questions of life? Why are we here? What is the meaning of life? What happens after life? What happens after death? Is there anything beyond? Does your worldview have answers for the situation that we find ourselves in with the COVID-19 crisis? Do, do you have satisfying answers in what you believe if you reject the Christian worldview? Then how is it that you make sense of the situation that we find ourselves in? So I'm speaking to all of these groups, and I hope this morning that this passage in the book of Romans, where Paul speaks to us, that there's comfort and encouragement helping us understand the truth that though we all start in the domain of darkness, in the domain of sin that brings death, we can be transferred into the kingdom of life. In Romans chapter 5, I want to start in verse 12, and here's what Paul says. He says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And he's going to go on there, but let me stop and explain what, what is Paul doing in this passage of Scripture. 
Paul is setting up a comparison, you could say. Paul is using this phrase, just as sin came into the world through one man. So, so over here on this side, in the domain of death and sin and darkness, just as sin came into the world through one man. This is through Adam. Through Adam's actions in creation, sin came into the world. If you're familiar with comparisons, you, the, Paul is going to set it up that just as one thing is true, so also another thing is true. Only, in Paul's mind, it takes him a a very long time to get to the second part of this comparison. I'm not going to be able to take the time to explain all of the verses this morning. We're, we're staying out at the 10,000 foot view. We're getting kind of broad strokes, and so I'm not going to unpack all of the phrases, but but this passage of Scripture is very confusing at, at first read. It, it would take us a long time to dig through, and if we were preaching through the book verse by verse, there's a lot more that I would want to draw out for you this morning. But I, I want us to kind of stay at the 10,000-foot view and get some big strokes, because in some ways Paul himself is painting with big strokes. He's going to take us from Adam at creation all the way to Christ at the cross, and, and these are the two comparisons he's going to make, but you'll notice in the way that Paul thinks, and you've seen this in other places of Paul writings, in the way that Paul writes, in the way that his mind works, he, he can write with these run-on sentences and fragments and parentheses, and that's exactly what he's doing here. So on the one hand, he's saying, just as sin came into the world through one man, by the way, it's as if this is happening in Paul's mind. By the way, since I've got sin up here, there's some things that I'm going to explain. And he begins to go on the, with these parenthetical statements about sin and death. And also, while he's on that topic, he needs to explain some things about the law. And so all of verses 13 and 14 are these parentheses. He hasn't yet completed the comparison. He, he's going to say, just as one... Just as sin came into the world through Adam, there's a comparison that he's going to make. And, and yet he gets caught up in these parentheses. One of the things that's significant in verse 14, if you look, here's what he says. Yet, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. It's very significant that, that Paul reminds us that Adam was a type, or he was a prefigure, a foreshadow. Throughout the Old Testament, there could be people or events or institutions who were divinely intended by God to foreshadow, to, to be a type of Christ who was to come. And Paul points that out. Adam, on the one hand, brought sin and death, and he prefigured Christ. Now, Paul's kind of showed his cards. He, this is the other side of the comparison, Christ, but he hasn't got there yet. But since he hinted that he was going to Christ, in verses 15, 16, and 17, he, 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 he has some more parentheses that he wants to throw in. Since he brought up Christ, he, he's going to say that because this is true in Adam, this is also true in Christ, but he doesn't want us to put an equal sign here. It's not as if Paul is saying the two are the same. In fact, there's some contrasts in terms of the quality of their actions and the scope of their actions. And so that's what verses 15, 16, and 17 are, where, where Paul begins to compare Adam and Christ, even though he hasn't finished the comparison in his mind. So, so look at it then in verse 18. Here's finally where Paul finishes his comparison. He says this, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, this is what Adam did over here, 
Adam brought a trespass that led to condemnation for all men. Now he finally finishes the comparison and he says, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. This is what Jesus did. This is, this is what Jesus' death on the cross that we celebrated on Good Friday, his life, his burial, and his resurrection was this act of obedience that brought justification. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And Paul is comparing and contrasting. On the one hand, you have Adam who failed and brought sin and death. And on the other hand, you have Jesus who succeeded and his righteous obedience brought life. That's the comparison that Paul sets up in these verses. So with that in mind, now, now I think this helps us understand as we go back and we think then about this comparison that Paul has. In verse 12, here's what, here's what Paul says in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Do you recognize that that is true this morning? The Christian worldview helps us understand why is there death in the world? Why is there so much heartache? Why is there disease? Why is there decay? Why does the world not operate as it should? Well, it's because death was brought into the world through Adam. The Christian worldview helps us understand that in creation, at the beginning, though God is perfect and he originally created man to live under his perfect rule, because God was in charge, he got to set how things ought to work, and yet man did not want to live. Adam didn't want to live with God in charge of his life. None of us want anyone to be in charge of our lives, much less God. And so Adam did what you and I do. He, he rebelled against God. He rejected God's rule, and when Satan, the serpent, tempted Adam and Eve by partaking of the fruit of the tree that was forbidden for them, they questioned God's goodness, and rather than imaging God and representing him well, they, they betrayed God and rejected his rule and authority. And so through that, sin comes into the world. All of us have that sin nature where we are guilty of rejecting God and his rule and wanting to live life our own way. And that's why the world hurts. That's why there's disease. That's why there's death. That's why we have pain in our hearts through the sin that we have violated a righteous and holy God. So let me ask you, does your worldview have answers for why the world hurts, why there's sin, why there's death, why there's disease? Think about the situation that we're in right now with this COVID-19 crisis. Does your worldview have answers for a virus that causes death and economic shutdown and fear on a massive global scale? Now, I, I wanna be careful in the comments that I'm gonna say, because on the one hand, I, I am very grateful for all of our leaders at both the local and state and federal levels, levels that are putting in countless hours to serve humanity, and I'm very thankful for the sacrifices that are being made. There's one 
common refrain that I have noticed in every soundbite of a press conference that I've caught, whether it's on the radio or the newspaper or uh, on television, if you see these press conferences, nearly every leader that I've heard ends with a similar, a, a, a call to arms, so to speak, or not a call to arms, that's a wrong word, but a, 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 a joyful encouragement. There's something that's said along the lines of, we will beat COVID-19, that together we will beat this virus. Now, on the one hand, I understand the need to boost morale and that together we need to pull together. But just once I'm waiting for someone to say, you know, we're in the situation that we're in because man has rebelled against God and sin has brought death and disease and decay. And, and COVID-19 is one of those consequences of sin. And so we're in a mess. And we trust that someday God will bring redemption and restoration, but he primarily did that through the person of Jesus Christ, and we're waiting for the restoration of this fallen world to be completed someday. I haven't yet heard that in a press conference. Uh, th there's something, there's a massive theological absence in the way that our culture is, is digesting the, the crisis that we are in. And so, I want to challenge some of those assumptions that underlie together we will beat this. There, there can be a, a train of thought that's out there or a worldview that says that, that man isn't inherently sinful. Sometimes man just gets belt, dealt a bad set of cards and, and that we are simply the victims of our circumstances and that with enough effort, with enough work, with enough pull togetherness, with enough science and testing, we can rise up to the next level and we as humanity can overcome all ills. There is a worldview that simply looks at life and says, when bad things happen, we just have to get better and improve ourselves, and eventually we will find that utopia in life. And if that's the worldview that you have or you are resting on to, to face a crisis like this, I want to challenge you to say, is, is that intellectually honest? Are, are you confident that your worldview has satisfying answers for the situation that we're in even right now. We recognize that death will come to all of us. Does your worldview have answers that satisfy even in the situation that we're in now? Paul is telling us in Romans that sin came into the world death came into the world through sin. And that's why we see the downfall as we do around us today with death and disease and decay. And I would much rather put my faith and trust in the biblical worldview than putting my faith and trust in a worldview that says with enough effort, we can better ourselves and beat any ill out there. I don't think that matches the reality of what we see in the New Testament or the complexity of the problems that we face in the world today. You see, the Christian worldview has answers for the ills that we face around us. In fact, in the creation story in Genesis, way back at the beginning, after Adam and Eve were judged for their sin and God was giving the consequences when they partook of the fruit of the tree that they shouldn't, God said this in Genesis 3.15, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise 
his heel. There was a promise way back in Genesis that God was going to set in motion a plan to restore things, to bring redemption. Where things had gone wrong, God was going to put things right again. And though Jesus Christ isn't named in Genesis 3.15, the promise of his redemption and hope was spoken to. It was alluded to. And so this is now then what Paul picks up on in the New Testament and he says that Jesus comes in the same way that Adam's sin brought death and destruction to all, then just as that's true, now Christ's obedient actions crushed the head of the serpent and brought life, that Christ's actions bring forgiveness such that and each, each and every one of us who place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross can find life and forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ, that our sins can be wiped clean, that the righteousness which belonged to Jesus Christ can be credited to our account through the obedient actions of Jesus Christ. Where Adam failed, Christ came and succeeded and brought life to all. And that's what Paul is reminding us of in the book of Romans. Just as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, verse 18, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. And as Paul goes, he continues to remind us of, of the glorious hope and truth that, that where this one realm of darkness brought death and, and for a while that power reigned, now through what Christ has done, he brings life. And this can be the ruling and reigning power. Notice the way that he even puts it in verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to key in on that verse, rain. Uh, in verse 21, this isn't the first time that the word rain has come up. In verse 14, Paul reminds us that death reigned from the time of Adam to Moses. Uh, in verse 17, there's again this contrast between death reigning and life reigning. Uh, in verse 21, again here, death reigns, but also because of Christ, grace might reign through the righteousness. That, that word reign, it, it's the verb form for the noun kingdom. The, word, the same word where we get the word kingdom is, is the verb that, that Paul's using here. And so it, it has this idea of, of a, a power at work or a realm or a kingdom. Paul is saying, so, so in Adam, because of his sin, we were kingdomed, if I can make that a verb, by death. And yet because of Christ, we're now in this kingdom realm of life and righteousness. And what a glorious hope that is to, to realize that, that we want to be transferred from the kingdom of death to the kingdom of life. So if I could compare and contrast these two kingdoms again, think about these two realms. Because each realm um, has a location. It has a tree. It has a, a, a the, the, the tree has been tasted of, and it brings about a, a different result. And I, wa I want you to see and compare and contrast these two locations, the two trees, the two things that are tasted, and the two results. Here's what Paul is reminding us in this passage of Romans. In the realm of creation, though God originally created it good, the serpent works his way into the garden. And in the middle of that garden, 
the subjects of the king are tempted to betray God, to doubt his goodness, and they are brought to a tree in the middle of the garden that has a fruit that is very appealing to the eyes, and they are tempted to become like God, and they partake, they taste of the fruit of that tree, and for, all, for they themselves and for all of humanity, it brings death. But it's not the last tree that we will see in the story. In the realm and the kingdom of life, in God's realm, in the realm of the cross, in the city of Jerusalem, the king of the universe, the one who made the world, becomes like the subjects of the world and comes from heaven and takes on human flesh and enters into this realm. And he becomes one who walks the streets of Jerusalem. And there, just on the outskirts of the city, there is another tree. Only it is not a tree whose roots are alive. It is a tree that has been fashioned into a cross. And this cross is placed into the soil. And the one who made the tree, the king of the world, puts himself on the cross and he tastes of the cross. Not, not fruit, but as the writer to the Hebrews says, he tastes of death. He tastes death for you and I such that his death would result in his own burial, but he wouldn't stay dead. On this Easter Sunday, we remember the fact that the tomb is empty. Christ was raised to new life, and by the tasting of death on this tree, Christ produces life for each and every one of us. So that any of us who turn from our sins and place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ can find life and forgiveness, eternal life with Jesus Christ our Lord. What a glorious truth that is. Some of you saw the link that Pastor Kevin sent out on Wednesday for Kevin DeYoung's book, The Biggest Story. Uh, you will know that I enjoy reading children's storybooks, children's Bibles. I shared this uh, the link that Pastor Kevin sent out was an animated video that's free until through today. Through April 12th on Easter Sunday, Crossway is letting you view an animated version of this book where Kevin DeYoung narrates the story. I watched this with the teens on Wednesday when we were on our Zoom call. Those of you that have teens, ask them. I think they enjoyed it. It was helpful. I would encourage any of you to read it. If you skipped over it thinking you didn't have kids, go back and watch it if you have time today. We'll put the link to it in the email to today's sermon. Uh, he, here is his description of what God accomplished on that cross by, by the tagline to the book is how the snake crusher brings us back to the garden. All that God accomplished where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded, and because of that, it gives us even a hope for the future. But here's what Kevin DeYoung says. After he describes that there were several things in Jesus' life that were surprising, that weren't what people expected, here's what he says. But the biggest surprise to everyone was that the chosen one of God was chosen by God to die. It just didn't seem right that the one destined to crush the serpent would be crushed himself. So when Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, died on the cross that Friday afternoon, it seemed a shocking evil beyond belief. And it was the worst thing that's ever happened in the world. But it was also the best thing that's ever happened in the world, just as we would expect from God, and just as God planned it. We break promises, so God keeps his. 
We run from God, so he comes to us. We suffer for sin, so the Savior suffers for us. Our story is the story of God doing what we can't in order to make up for us doing what we shouldn't. The Christ suffers for our sin that we might share in his sinlessness. And so deliverers are born to die. Things fall apart so they can come together. God kicks his own people out of paradise and then does whatever it takes to bring them back again. Brothers and sisters, church, be encouraged. The hope of the resurrection, the promise of the empty tomb, not only gives us hope for life, that death has been overcome and we now have life, it also gives us a hope and assurance that God will secure for us an eternal home with him. And that's where Paul ends in verse 21 when he says, So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We know that we are waiting for Christ to return. And just though sin has been conquered through Christ's death on the cross, for now we wait. There's an already not yet aspect that a few chapters later, Paul is going to tell us that, that the earth itself groans. It's waiting for redemption. And so there's pain in the midst of this life now. And though we are worshiping from home on this Easter Sunday and the church building sits empty, the reminder that the tomb is empty gives us hope that one day all wrongs will be made right. And even redemption for this world itself. And we will once again dwell face to face with God in the garden and things will be even better than he had originally created. Brothers and sisters, we wait for that hope. And this Easter Sunday, we celebrate it. And if you happen to listen to this this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ or you haven't yet turned from your sins, we urge you to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Not that there's any rote ritual magic to asking Christ to be your Savior, but that what you are doing in this is recognizing you've been on your own, in violation, running from God, and your sin separates you from God, and that you, you actually want to turn now and, and live with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you confess your sins and trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross to forgive you of your sins. If that's true of you, you can do that today. You can call out to the Lord in salvation, asking him to forgive you, confessing your sins and trusting in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. If you'd like to talk further, we would encourage you to reach out to us. Uh, we have resources that we'd be able to pass on to you, and we'd be, we would love to extend this conversation further. I want to close in prayer. Be encouraged of the, the truth of the empty tomb and what it means for us. Father, we come to you and we are grateful for the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We're grateful that in your love, you came up with a plan to transfer us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your son. Lord, I pray that each one would have the assurance of their salvation and a hope in Jesus Christ. Lord, would these truths even give us hope and confidence in the times that we find ourselves in, knowing, Father, that one day all wrongs will be righted and even creation itself will be restored and we will dwell again face to face with you. Encourage us in these truths, we ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.